as we come to the sixth commandment, it, uh, it can be noted, perhaps, that here is the command of God's law that we might most quickly check off as done. You shall not murder. I've never gotten so mad that I uh, took a gun or a knife or used my bare hands to take the life of another person. Of course, I have taken many a knife to many a stake, but the stake is already dead and it isn't a person. I jest, of course, but there is uh, at least some significance to that comparison. Uh, There is a difference, a huge and monumental difference uh, between taking the life of another creature and taking the life of another human being. Uh, Murder is considered the greatest of crimes, the height of evil, even within a culture that makes room for almost every other crime, uh, steal something, and, and yet you can excuse yourself if you are stealing from someone with more wealth than you, uh, tell a lie, and it doesn't matter if the deception doesn't hurt anyone and it helps you. Commit adultery, and well, he, he doesn't love me anymore. Uh, she doesn't care about my needs But murder, it's hard to excuse that one away. And yet we don't need an excuse, right? Because we haven't pulled the trigger. Uh, We haven't wielded the knife to end the life of another person. So we might think to check this one off. Uh, When actually, here is the commandment. I, I want to present this case to you this morning. Here is the command that we most easily break in the Christian life because we can violate the sixth commandment with our tongues when we tear others down. The Apostle James writes in James 3 verse 7, every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly, deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. That's really the the key to understanding the will of God in the sixth commandment. It's not wrong to hear the sixth commandment as don't pull the trigger, don't drive the knife into the heart of another person. But here's the case, the the argument, if you will, from the greater to the lesser. If it's wrong to murder, taking the very life of another person, then it's also wrong to lessen a person's life in some lesser way. Let me say that again. If it's wrong to take the very life of another person, then it is also wrong to lessen a person's life even in some lesser way. This is the case that I plan to make this morning, and not because I think it, but because I am convinced it is the teaching of God's Word. 
So the first thing we need to do is to establish by God's word uh, a right valuation of human life. That's the first point, the valuation of human life. Once again, we go back to creation. I would apologize for always going back to creation, but why should I apologize for God's word and the foundation to reality that is laid for us in the creation story? It is just that important. The story of creation makes this clear that after God had created every other creature, that's the key, every other creature, then he did something even more remarkable and amazing. He created the creature whom he made in his own image. Here I will not likely make friends, but I would urge you, I would at least ask you kindly not to refer to your dog or your cat as your baby, or even worse, to yourself as mommy or daddy to your pet. It used to be that one of the worst insults you could offer someone was to refer to them as the offspring of a dog, thus insulting both them and their mother. It's a double-barreled insult, and I'm not going to use the expression, obviously, but you've heard it many times and maybe even have used it in a moment of sinful anger. But look what has happened in our culture. Look what has happened in our culture. Nowadays we are given, at least our culture would prompt us, to refer to ourselves willingly as mommy or daddy, uh, a mother or a father, to our pets, to our to our pets as our children. Uh, it's easy to say, well, preacher, you're, you're majoring on minors. Uh, what's the big deal? But right here is the big deal. That after God, after God had created every other creature, he said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And so indeed, the, the next verse teaches us that God created man in his own image in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The image of God in man is, is a crucial teaching of God's word. It, it, it comes at the very beginning. Uh, this is God's truth 101. If we get this wrong, we get so many other things wrong. If children don't learn that 2 plus 2 equals 4, when do they learn that? In the first grade, I always have to ask my wife, at what age do kids learn this, that, or the next thing? And maybe that's because I, I'm too stupid to remember when I learned it. But at least I remember that 2 plus 2 equals 4. But if children don't learn that 2 plus 2 equals 4, what's going to, uh, what's going to make any sense for them after that? In the same way, in the same way, this is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. It's elementary, my dear Watson. Here is the starting point that man was made in the image of God. Man is special. Sorry to hurt the feelings of all other creatures, but man is, spe is special. Oh, wait, it's not going to hurt the feelings of all 
other creatures because they are not made in the image of God, and uh, and and so to have their their feelings hurt. So away with all this equalizing between man and beast. That's the language of Scripture, man and beast. And let's not reject it as much as we like our pets. Man and beast. Let us let us make that difference in our minds. Let us let us keep the the sharp the, the, the sharpest of distinctions between those creatures not created in the image of God and those creatures created in the very image of the one true God. And here's why it's so important, at least one of the reasons, because it's the foundation to the sixth commandment. You shall not murder. And there's an important stopping point between Genesis 2 and Exodus 20, which is Genesis 9. Genesis 9 is the account of Noah coming off the ark and receiving the covenant promises of God. It's at this point that God gives permission for man to eat the other creatures. My own reading of this is that it wasn't the case that mankind had not already been eating the flesh of other creatures. The point here is that God gives his permission for it. The word of God in Genesis 9, verse 3, is, is that every moving thing, God says, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I, I now give you everything. So fire up the grill. Many a Friday night I have thought to myself, thank you, Lord, for Genesis 9. But this is added by God, and it, and it needs to be heard. But you shall not eat flesh with its, with its life, that is, its blood. It's a difficult text, but it seems to be the prohibition of God from eating raw meat. Sorry to those of you who like your steak cooked rare, but that's not really the point. The point is that even as we eat other creatures, we are not to think like a pagan. Because a pagan is going to think that his life is made up of the life that he eats. It has always been the the pagan idea that by eating another creature, that that creature's life becomes one with your life. The creature that you eat becomes one with you. Nonsense, says God. He is the giver of life. He is the sustainer of life. And the thing that gets emphasized here, the the teaching that gets taught all over again, is that there is a difference. There is a, a categorical difference. If ever there was a categorical difference, here it is. The categorical difference between man and beast. The creatures have their life, and man has his life, and never the two shall be mixed, because man is made in the image of God. The image of God, the image of God, the image of God. Someone might say, really, all of this is behind the sixth commandment? Yes, it is. 
as 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 different as uh, you might be from another human being, different skin color, different personality, different ethnicity and background, different place of living on the face of the earth, different favorite color, different favorite food. It doesn't matter. We have this in common. We are made in the image of God, unless we're a dog or a cat or a goldfish. But we are not a dog or a cat or a hamster or a goldfish. We are man, created in the image of God, and that's the starting point to so much else, and certainly to the command of God, you shall not murder. However, there is a place, and this needs to be said, a place for the justified kill. Second point. It needs to be understood that the sixth commandment does not say, you shall not kill. But it says, you shall not murder. Otherwise, how do we understand the sixth commandment against the command of God to his people to go into the land of Canaan and kill? Clear the land of man, woman, and child was God's command to Israel. And so we see that that to kill is not necessarily to murder. To murder is to kill another human being unjustly, contrary to the will of God. And the place to start with understanding the justified kill is, once again, to understand that God is the giver of life and that God is the taker of life. Life is the gift of God that he gives in his kindness, but that he takes in his judgment. Have you ever given a gift that you wish you could take back? Maybe you felt like the gift wasn't appreciated. Maybe you gave to a charity, but then found that that organization wasn't doing what you think they should be doing with your money. But all that pales in comparison with what mankind has done with life, especially life made in the image of God. The image of God is is a great power given by God, intended for his glory and for mankind's good. But what has happened? Mankind has received the image of God, so to take the image of God and to use the image of God, not for his glory, nor for their true good, but for God's actual dishonor. The illustration has been given before, but even as children are born or adopted into a family, but then spoil the family name, so we should understand the sin of man. And it's not just the matter of splashing the family name across the headlines. The sin of man is even to take up sides with the enemy. As it has already been said, the story of creation is is important as the the backdrop, the, the, the history needed to understand reality even today. And, and and so we see God as creator, we see God as as the creator of all that exists today. We see in the story of creation man created in the image of God, but we also see what sin is. 
Not just disobedience and not certainly not just naughtiness. But sin is the abdication of a throne. Even more, sin is being a traitor. Sin is going over to the side of sin and of Satan. Sin is giving allegiance to the one who opposes God. To put it another way, this story of creation really has three main characters. God is first, man is second, but into the story comes Satan. And once again, if, if, if we do not understand this, then it's like missing the fact that two plus two equals four. In his wisdom, surely beyond our full understanding of it, we are taught in the story of creation that God has a mortal enemy, the devil, a fallen angel, whom God allowed and even ordained to fall in order to carry out his plan of glory for himself. And so the story of creation sets the stage. The story of creation builds the arena, we might say, uh, for the display of God's grace and mercy and redemption throughout history. We can demur. We can ask God, why, why did you do it that way? Why did you do it this way? But it doesn't change the fact that God created all that he created as an arena, a stage, if you will, upon which to play out his history, his acts of glory, both in his judgment upon the devil and those who side with him, and his grace and mercy upon those whom he will save out from under his own judgment. So the sixth commandment, you, you shall not murder, it, it doesn't say you shall not kill. Because within the, the arena of redemption, there is the place to kill. In Genesis 9, man is given permission to do what he was likely already doing, to kill of the animals in order to eat, to take the life of a creature in order to support his own life. But in Genesis 9, God also emphasizes the difference, the, the distinction between man and beast. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. But within the story of redemption, there will be need for death. Death by the judgment of God. Here, here is the difference between murder and killing. Here is the difference between killing by aggression and killing by self-defense. Here's the difference between uh, breaking into another person's house, killing the owner and taking what is his, and shooting the person come, trying to come into your house to do the same thing. Here is the difference between a nation inviting, invading another nation and the nation being invaded, defending itself. Well, granted, it gets confusing. Granted, it's not always perfectly clear who is in the right and who is in the wrong. That's the nature and the reality of a world fallen in sin. But the command of God, 
you shall not murder is not the command you shall not kill. Let us be let us be very careful making this distinction. We must not rush to separate out killing from murder. But let us also see that we live in a fallen world. A world where nations must stand against nations. Uh, a, a world in which intruders must be shot at point of entry. Um, uh, a world where people are sinners and sinners are rebels and where rebels are not just naughty but are dedicated followers of an enemy that opposes all that is good and right and holy. But let us be careful to avoid another mistake. Let us be careful not to miss the very the very basic everyday call to kindness. The last point is the call to kindness. The sixth commandment takes us into all kinds of discussions about self-defense, the, the justified kill, just war theory. We could spend a month of Sundays, as they say, uh, just on that aspect of the sixth commandment. But let us not miss the basic call to kindness in the sixth commandment. We have already noted that uh, there are two commandments that are stated in the positive. They are, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy and honor your father and your mother. Both commands are stated in the positive. By them, God tells us first, what to do rather than what not to do. But we must see that whether given in the positive or in the negative, there is always the opposite. And this is important for the sixth commandment. It's so important exactly because we might think to easily check off this commandment as done when actually we violate it every day. We violate it, we disobey the sixth commandment more by what we don't do, perhaps, than what we do. Granted, and, and praise be to God for his restraining grace, granted we have never pulled the trigger, we have never wielded the knife to murder. But what have we done in the positive? The command not to murder is also the command to help to bless, to better the life of another. It is the command to give and, and to assist and to build up and to encourage and never to tear down the person next to us in life. And it really doesn't matter who the person is, what the person has done to get themselves, to put themselves in a place where they need our help and encouragement. This we learn from God's own grace and mercy toward us. Can we not imagine God saying, well, they, you know, they made their bed, let them sleep in it. Does it not make sense to us that God in his justice might have said, to hell with them, literally, I will go make another world. Well, that's the backdrop. That's the importance of, of the story of creation. That 
and, and this by our own logic. We can figure this out. We are created in the image of God. The understanding that God might have just turned us all over to the evil one. That's the way you want to go? Then go. But he didn't. And so we too, created in the image of God, we too are called upon not to murder and not to fail to do for our neighbor what needs to be done. Because God did not fail to do what needed to be done for us, to save us, to bring us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. The sixth commandment is the call to kindness. This is a great way to end this message. The call to kindness. And the questions of application are these. Uh, will you be kind to the person you find in need this week? Will you be kind to your brother or sister in the church? Will you be slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, even as God is toward you in Christ? Uh, in your kindness, will you, will you start with your brother and sister in the church, because that really is the starting point of kindness, the church, the family of God and Christ. But, but, but does not your cup runneth over? Uh, do you not have kindness? Do you not have a kindness to be shown even outside the church to the unbeliever, to the person still enslaved in their sin, still needing the redemption of Christ? Galatians 6 verse 10 says, so then, as we have opportunity, that's the only condition, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. But what does sin do to us? But it makes us wake up every morning thinking, how can I stay alive? And, uh, and, and what can I gain for myself in this day? And so what happens? Someone insults us. Someone disappoints us. Someone ignores us. And because it's about us, we take offense. We get angry. And we respond in kind. Or we just let it break our fellowship with that person. But what if God did that? What if Christ took offense by the sins of the sinners for whom he suffered and died. Think of, think of his ignorant disciples not getting it over and over again. Think of how they slept in the garden as he was about to be arrested, tried, and crucified. And that's the key to think, to think. Let us think and remember what has been done for us, that we might be saved but also that we might do likewise. Granted, you will, you will never do it as Christ did it for you. But you can try. Could you not try to be more kind? Is it, is it above your dignity to be kind to the moron who cut you off in traffic? Is it above your dignity to be kind to the brother or sister who hasn't been kind to you. I like words, and, uh, and I find myself thinking about the root of the word kind, 
as in kindness. Why does the word kind mean goodness and even grace and and mercy? And I think kind has come to mean what it means because of the gospel, because of the Christian worldview behind the English language. To be kind is to act in kind. Kind can mean gracious, helpful, merciful, but it can also mean of a sort, of a like unto another. As in, what kind of food do you like? So it makes sense, does it not? And I hope this can help you think about it. It makes sense that, that those who have been treated with grace and mercy should be of that kind. They should have within them that kindness, that sameness, even that identity. Do we know how kind God has been to us? Or has God given his son to die on the cross, to suffer and die for us, only to leave us to be unkind, to be different, to be contrary to how we have been treated? So, oh, the depth and the span of kindness. Too many applications to be made. So, how can you obey the sixth commandment in this week? What kindness can you show to others? The cashier or the waitress is rude. Are you rude back? Maybe, maybe she just heard you know, some bad news in her life. Your boss is short-tempered. How do you respond to that? In that way, kindness could mean that you just respond in kind. Wouldn't that be the literal meaning of kindness? Kindness is responding in kind. You do back as, as it's been done to you, but the kindness of the Christian is the kindness of Christ. In other words, our kindness is a likeness unto Christ regardless of what unkindness has been has been given to us and 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 what has Christ done for us? What has God done for us in Christ? The kindness of Christ is the call of Christ to do likewise. Think of the parable of the unmerciful servant in Matthew 18. I'm remembering now I meant to read this passage uh, uh, at the beginning, but uh, the parable of the unmerciful servant in Matthew 18. um, One servant is shown mercy. He turns then and refuses to show mercy to the servant below him. And the verdict is this, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? So, granted, it doesn't say kindness. It says grace, mercy. But grace, mercy, kindness, is is there really a difference? The sixth commandment prohibits murder. Certainly, don't let your anger or your jealousy or whatever you're feeling lead you to pull the trigger, or swing the knife. But short of that, even beyond that, consider what Christ has done for you. 
And maybe you haven't yet considered what Christ has done for you. So maybe start by receiving Christ as your Savior this very morning. Receive Him by faith as the one who has been so very, very kind to you. But then be kind. Be like Him. Show kindness to others in your life. They may be guilty. Certainly they are guilty before God. But so were you when Christ died for you. So be kind. Be likewise. Do not murder and be kind to others. Amen. Let's pray. Help us to see the extremes of your law, O God. Certainly that we must not take human life in anger and commit murder in that respect, but help us also to see that we are called to kindness. We are called to be thoughtful of those in need round about us. We are called to live as Christ lived and even to die as Christ died in service to others. Grant us, O Lord, your spirit that we might do as you did for us and that we might truly be kind to others in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.